You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. If you want to open up in your Bibles to Joshua 5 and 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Joshua 5 and 6. But I want to set the stage a little bit with uh, this kind of being a New Year's Eve sermon. Because there, there are these moments in life. There's these, these moments, maybe you are in one of them, maybe you just had one, maybe there's one coming at you and you're a little anxious about it. There's these moments where we feel like it's hard to tell whether we're in some, something that Satan has stuck us in or if we're in something that God has led us to. These moments where we're, we're up against things that we're, we're not really sure how we're going to face them. How do, I just, how do I just deal with what just happened? How am I going to address that looming crisis that's approaching with every turn of the calendar? How are we going to respond to these kind of moments? How are we going to approach them? There's moments in our lives, moments that Scripture records and, and presents to us to learn from, moments like the story of Israel at Jericho. So for some of us, this is probably a very familiar story, but just in case it's faded in your minds a little bit, let me retell the context briefly, as this will be important in a minute. So you remember the people of Israel were in Egypt for a while, and then God called Moses and he brought them out of Egypt. It was a really big deal, right? The ten plagues, and, and he, he uh, just decimates the Egyptian empire Uh, Israel passes through the Red Sea and God closes the waters back on the army of Pharaoh there. And then he brings them quickly through the wilderness right up to the gates of the promised land. But they don't go in. Right? You remember this? So they send in 12 spies to kind of scout out the lay of the land. They come back with a report that says, we can't do this. Two of them say we could, Joshua, who we're going to talk about this morning, and a guy named Caleb. But the other ten said, no way. It, gets, it got so bad in that moment that the, the Israelites, who just like a month before had seen what God did to the gods of Egypt and the army of Pharaoh, those Israelites said, we're going to kill Moses, elect a new leader who can take us back to Egypt will apologize for the destruction of their society, and then they'll let us be slaves again, hopefully. Is that the plan? Whatever the plan was, that's what happened. So God says, this is crazy. You guys want to not go into the promised land. I'm not taking you back to Egypt. So you're just going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation of people dies. And so now it's their kids All of the priests, all of the army, all of the people that we're going to meet here in Joshua 6 are all the children and grandchildren of that generation. And now they're coming back, they're following Joshua into the promised land just as God led them out and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Now they've just, in Joshua chapter 4, they cross the Jordan River on dry ground. God does that again for them. So that it's like, it's their own thing now, right? And they're, they're back in here and they're, they're gathering now. Jericho is going to be the first stronghold, the first walled city that they're going to face. And they're gathered on the plains of Jericho. 
So in Joshua 5, going into Joshua 6, God is trying to get Israel on a war footing. War footing. You know this expression, just to be ready, to be prepared, to be focused. Because Jericho is just the first of these battles they're going to have. They're going to have battles like this for this, this whole generation and the next and the next until the promised land is taken. So God wants to get Israel on a war footing. And God, through the Spirit in this text, wants to get us on war footing as well. This morning I want to put you on war footing as you approach 2024. Now what does that mean for us? I want to jump for a moment now to Ephesians Ephesians 2. That's my bad. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Where Paul writes this, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's so interesting. There's several places where Paul has to remind churches, we don't do this. This is not our war style. These are not our weapons. Because Christians, like everybody, when faced with these kind of moments, we reach for the weapons we're most comfortable with. Whether that's weapons, weapons, or strategies and tactics and ways that we can manipulate the situation to alleviate our discomfort or increase our likelihood of success. But he makes very clear to the Ephesian church, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. As I was thinking about this text in relation to Joshua 5 and 6, I thought this might be helpful to appreciate this a little bit better. That Paul is not talking to the Ephesian church about spiritual warfare because, because the church was living in a place where there were no physical threats. Right? The, as if the early church was so safe in the Roman Empire that they could just now start focusing on spirituality rather than real problems. Everywhere Paul went, what happened to him? He was persecuted, thrown in prison, brought before the courts, beaten. So when Paul's talking to them about spiritual warfare, spirituality, it's because he wants them to see what's real beyond the courts, beyond the persecution, beyond the struggles and strife of life, what's real. What is going to be the biggest struggle that you're going to face in 2024? What would the, what would the world say? What is the, the news as Brian alluded to, what would they say is going to be the biggest crises, the biggest, the real issues of 2024? And what Paul wants to say and what Scripture wants to say is that's not the real. That's not the real. This is going to be the real struggle. And this is the question for us. How are we going to approach the challenges that we know are coming in 2024, how are we as the church and the people of God going to approach those struggles? And that's what the story of Jericho and the battle of Jericho teaches in a powerful way. So we're now in Joshua 5 and 6, and I want to make some initial observations for us because uh, I'm... I, 
growing up in the church, I'm super familiar with this story. And you're probably super familiar with this story too. And I was surprised to find, to notice what is not here. What is not part of getting God's people on a war footing, even when they're actually throwing spears and stuff. I was astonished to see what's not here. The first thing that's not here is there's no great drama about the battle. And there's no great drama about the walls. How many, have any of you seen the Hanna-Barbera cartoon version of this story? Do you remember the Hanna-Barbera cartoons of all like the Bible stories? And there's like a you know, 23-minute episode about the Battle of Jericho, and you could probably find it on YouTube. Don't watch it right now, please. But um, you could go find it, and it's a, it's a bunch of drama. You know, it's the king of Jericho. He's always worried, and Joshua's getting everybody's pumped up over here, and the, you know, the armies are starting to do their thing, and, and it's, a whole, it's all about the drama, none of which is in the text. Here's the battle, right? Look at me at chapter 6, verse 5. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. That, that's it. Let's look at verse 20. Is that it? So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. I want to hear more about the wall and the falling down flatness of it, but that's not in the text. And it's interesting when you compare this story with a story like uh, 1 Samuel 17, David versus Goliath, which is like 80 verses of like everything you would ever want in an epic battle story. Like David trying on the armor, and oh, it's not going to work, and he goes and gets the five perfect stones from the brook, and Right, and him and Goliath have like multiple, like just you know, yeah, well, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you, and they're back and forth, and it's it's truly epic, and none of that is here. In other words, what we are most excited about is not maybe what matters most, which is actually what Paul is saying in Ephesians six as well. What we get most excited about is not what matters most. And here's the other thing that's not here, and this is really interesting to me too, which is uh, this is not how God typically works. I grew up here in the story of uh, the Battle of Jericho like a lot, but you know how many times the story of the Battle of Jericho is referenced in Scripture after Joshua 6? Once. In Hebrews 11. That is the only other reference to the Battle of Jericho. I would think this would be like everywhere, and it's nowhere, which is a way to say this is not how God typically works. Israel doesn't march through the promised land and just like each town they come to do their their little walk around and the trumpet thing and then walls fall down. This only happens here at the beginning. The lesson of the Battle of Jericho is not, as you may have heard, you know, God's going to knock your Jericho walls down. That's not the lesson. The lesson is going to be something more profound and, and unfortunately, demanding. So let's look at what is actually here. Look with me again in verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. 
When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout. All right, so I'm going to describe a scene for you, and you tell me what I'm talking about. All right, imagine in this scene, there's a bunch of priests. Some of the priests are playing music, and the Ark of the Covenant's there. What am I talking about? A worship service. The battle is a worship service. That's what this battle is. This is a this is a battle? This is a worship service. How many times do they emphasize the priests, the trumpets, the ark? The priests, the trumpets, the ark. There's no reference to catapults. There's no references to the cavalry. There's no references to the archery contingent. There's no references to the tanks. There's no references to the fighter pilots. There's references to the priests and the trumpets and the ark. This battle is really a worship service. The other thing that I want to observe, and this is, this is a little bit lengthier reading, but I want, I want the effect of this to, to land on us. So what we just read, that's part one of it. And then now pick up in verse 6. So the, the commander of the Lord's army says, do this, exactly this thing. And then Joshua, verse 6, the son of Nun called the priest and said to him, so take up the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Skip down to verse 13, please. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and... The rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. And so they did for six days. This is one of those kind of moments in Old Testament stories where you're like, we get it. The priests, the trumpets, the ark, the seven. Do we get it though? Because we make a cartoon about the drama that's not here. But, but do we get what he's trying to say? What, what the text is trying to say? I mean, the Lord's commander commands Joshua. Joshua then repeats verbatim all of those things. But it doesn't just say, and Joshua commanded the, everybody to do this. He says it all again. And then it says, and they did it all again. And then they did it all again. The command is recommanded, and then the obedience to that command is emphasized. What's here in this text, what we need to see is that the emphasis is on obedience. The emphasis of what's actually in our text this morning is on worship and obedience. The annoying details of our text are all about worship and obedience. Nothing about the walls falling down. Nothing about how awesome the fighters were. Nothing about the stuff that we would be more interested in, but it's all about worship and obedience. Which is, again, I want, I want to zoom out to the context here. This is so interesting because their parents, 
The parents of these, this army, the parents of these priests had refused to follow the God that they saw do all the Egypt stuff. They refused to follow him into the promised land because of how scary the people like Jericho were. And now what has God given their children to face this moment that they're presented with? What do they now have to overcome that fear? He's given them worship and obedience. Worship and obedience. And this is a growing emphasis in the story of Joshua. I wanna, you can turn there with me if you want to Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. This is, you're going to see a lot of resonance here between the ideas of worship and obedience. In Joshua 1, 6, this is where the Lord is commanding Joshua and giving Joshua his mandate. Look at what Joshua's mandate is in Joshua 1, 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Being careful to be obedient. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, be worshipful toward it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, to obey, according to what is written in it. The mandate Joshua gets at the beginning of the book of Joshua is, Joshua, to lead this people, you need to be worshipful and obedient. And what we see happen over the next six chapters is the emphasis is not, they're not focused on Jericho. They're not worried about the battles that are coming. They cross the Red Sea, in chap- or they cross the Jordan River in chapter 4, and when they come through, God says, now I want you to get 12 big stones and make a big pile to remember God, to, rem- to, to remember what I've done for you and who I am. To prepare them for future worship. We come to Joshua 5, right before the battle of Jericho. They stop and they observe the Passover. They're on the edge of in sight of their enemies and God says, stop everything for a couple days and we're going to have an extended multi-day family camp and worship time. And then look at what happens again right before Joshua 6, Joshua 5, 13. Joshua's by Jericho, he lifts his eyes up, he he sees this commander of the Lord's armies. Look at verse 14. The commander of the Lord's army says, no, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua, what does he do? He falls on his faith to the earth and worships, he worships, and he says, what is my Lord, what do you want me to do? Joshua worships and obeys. And the emphasis in chapter 6, worship and obey. Joshua 1 to 6 is not Jericho focused. So that moment I told you to reflect on, the the moment that you're in right now, the big questions that you're avoiding, the big situations that you're having to face that you don't want to, we get preoccupied with these things, right? We get absolutely absorbed in them and focused on them. And and even right now, you're you're struggling to even be here because it's it's drawing you with its gravity. But Joshua 1 to 5 is not about Jericho at all. It's, it's not about how are we going to do this. It's all about God. The focus is on God. I think all my favorite movies have training montages in them. I love movies with training montages. You know, like Rocky, right, where he's, he's shadow boxing, he's running. They have the best, that's the best song in the whole movie. Bum, 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 you know, he's, he's, getting, he's running the stairs, he's getting excited. I love 
Sports movies, military movies, things with training montages in them. So what's the training montage for the people of God as they get ready, as God puts them on war footing and they get ready to go into the land? The training montage is very disappointing. <laughs> what's most important for victory is not uh, their strategy. Right? We don't see Joshua and the other, the other leaders of the army you know, pushing little chariots and horses around a, a board and say, well, first we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. God doesn't give Israel better tech they don't, you know, it's not like the Stone Age and all of a sudden they've got titanium shields and stuff and, and just like, well, we're just going to mow everybody down with this. And they're not the best trained. This isn't, an, this isn't the Spartans. This isn't an elite group of warriors. These are not the most important things for their victory. What's the most important thing for their victory? Well, apparently, it's worship and obedience. Apparently, the most important thing for their victory is worship and obedience. Not their tech, not their training, not their tactics. Let's keep this in mind for what, what we're facing and what we're going to face in 2024. So at the beginning of the conquest, at the beginning of 2024, what Israel needed most to learn and what we need to understand is, first of all, that God works through our worship and obedience. God works through our worship and obedience. I'm not saying that God needs us to worship him and obey him in order for him to work. I'm saying that that's just how in his wisdom and love he has designed his work to work. is through our worship and obedience. Because God wants to work in a way that we get joy and that others get to see our joy. Right? Psalm 98. I want you to sing a new song. I want you to make a joyful noise and I want that to spread. This is how God has designed it. God works through our worship and obedience. And the other thing that Israel needs to understand is that God, God's ways work. I know we're all here because we suspect God's ways work, but this is something that God's people need to learn and learn again. God works through worship and obedience, but ugh, do his ways work? God's ways work, right? His commander wins. He can be reliably followed to victory. And this is such an important lesson. It happens here at the beginning of Joshua because as the first readers of the book of Joshua were, were living out their life and living out their faith, they were facing continual opposition as they expanded into the promised land. Every new city didn't want them to take it over, believe it or not, right? Every place they went, they were being fought against. And the temptation, which eventually overtook Israel, the temptation was to say, we don't want to follow God in his ways anymore. We want a king like all the other nations have. And that's, in, that's quoting the elders of Israel in 1 Samuel 8. They say, we don't want Samuel. We don't want you to be our leader. We don't want God to be our king. We want a king like all the nations have. And the reason that that happened is because between Joshua and 1 Samuel is what book? Judges. And Judges is just one failed leader after another. One leader after another who doesn't worship God, who doesn't obey God. One leader after another who doesn't worship, who doesn't obey. So either all the leaders of Israel are, are bad leaders who don't worship God and don't obey his word, or they're good leaders like Joshua, but then they die. And so we need... We need a different, God's people need a different kind of leader. We need somebody who can, be, who can reliably lead us 
to victory and who can lead us to worship and obey. And here's why I had us start our reading in Joshua 5.13, because we need a leader like this guy. We need a leader like the, the commander that Joshua meets before the battle of Jericho. When Joshua was by Jericho, Joshua 5.13, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Right? Would you see somebody with a gun drawn? You know, uh, you, hey, are you, what side are you on? What does he say? He says, no. But I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I've come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. The place where you're standing is holy. And that's what Joshua did. We need a leader like this guy, a person who Joshua worships and obeys, the real commander of the Lord's armies. He's the one that knocks down the walls of Jericho, this guy. It wasn't the sonic reverberations of the people shouting. It was this commander and his power. We need a leader who God wins through and through whom God is worshipped. Who is this guy? Whoever this is, we want someone like him to be the one who leads us and who please never dies. Who leads us and never goes away. So who is this guy? Where can we get him at, right? Who is this commander? There's a lot of mystery here and I don't want to derail our whole talk reflecting on this question. But what we can say for sure is that this commander is the shape of the one who we hope will soon come. He is the shape of the one who we hope will come, who will come and do even greater Jericho kind of stuff. And of course, we're here because we know that that hope that they had after Joshua 6 is the hope that's been fulfilled in Jesus. Right on that Easter morning, the most impenetrable barrier, death itself, the wall that it was standing between all God's people and all the promises of God that was knocked down flat. And just as in the Jericho story, Jesus' cross death was very strange, very unappealing. Just as everybody looked at what Israel was doing at Jericho and thought, what are they doing? Everybody looked at what God was doing in Jesus' life prior to the cross and said, what is God doing? And yet the resurrection announces in no uncertain terms that God wins through Jesus. And through the resurrection, we now know who can be our commander forever, the one through whom God wins, Jesus Christ our Lord. But that's actually not where I want to focus on here about Jesus. He fulfills the story of Jericho, but Jesus is actually a model for us in what the story of Jericho calls us to do and to be. So think about this for a second. How did Jesus prepare for and live out his mission? Uh, if there was a training montage of Jesus' life with your favorite worship song in the background, what is Jesus doing? Think about how he actually prepares for his, his life and ministry. What's the first thing he does in the gospel stories? He gets baptized, which is him publicly saying, I belong to the people of God. I belong to this covenant. That's who I am. That's me. It's a worshipful, religious, worshipful, obedient act. 
the very next thing he does is he goes out into the wilderness where he spends 40 days meditating on the book of Deuteronomy in preparation for his ministry. Think about how Jesus gets ready for his most fearful moment. You want to talk about intense moments. Jesus who knows that he's going to the cross. How does he prepare for that? On the night that he was betrayed, he goes to a Passover worship service. And then that's not enough. He goes from there to a small group prayer meeting. Worship and obedience. Jesus explains this in John 5.19. He says, listen, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm always focused on God, and I only do what I see. I worship and obey. That's how I do everything I do. Jesus lived his mission by worship and obedience. Because God's ways work, and God works through worship and obedience and God won through Jesus, through Jesus' worship and obedience. And he, the worshiping and obedient commander, is our commander forever. And we have a mission, too. The apostles say in 1 Peter 2, 9, You have been called out of darkness into God's light in order to proclaim his excellencies. We have a mission, we have a land to take. And Jesus' victory will expand through our worship and obedience. That makes sense, kind of. I think about that for just a moment. Jesus' worth is put on display in our worship. That, that's kind of obvious. We just got done, you know, nobody's singing songs about you and me, right? <laughs> We're singing songs about Jesus. We're displaying his worth. And his superiority is put on display by our obedience. Imagine for a second doing something because you were told to do it. <laughs> Not because you agreed with it. Think about actually what you do in most of your life is you go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'll do that. I agree with that. That makes sense to me. But now imagine doing something because you're told to do it. Just You do it just because of who that person is. And so obedience glorifies Jesus. Obedience expands his victory in worship and obedience. That's our witness in this world. How are we going to be faithful to Jesus in 2024? How are we going to get ready for what we're going to face? And how are we going to face it well? Worship and obedience. So this morning, the message here, the call to Israel, the call to us is to worship and obey. The story of Jericho and that operation was to be a model for how God's people approach their significant moments, their battles, their opponents. And the key example in this story is, of course, Joshua. By the end of the story in Joshua chapter 6, the, the story ends and it says that Joshua's fame went everywhere for the Lord was with him. Which is the, the author's way of saying, this guy did it right. This guy did it right. And, and what did he even do in the story of, jo of the battle of Jericho? He didn't do anything except in Joshua 5, he worshipped the Lord's commander and he said, tell me what to do. He worshipped the Lord's commander. He said, you go ahead and do the leading and just tell me what. And by the end of the story, Joshua 
is famous because the Lord is with him. And there's a sequence there. I want to I be helpful and help you think about this this morning. There's a sequence to this. Worship builds obedience. Right? Because when we really see Jesus, when we really see Jesus, we're going to say, that guy? Whatever he wants, yes. I can trust that guy. Worship prepares us for obedience. Which is again why gathering on Sunday for this is so important for all of us. Worship prepares us for obedience. So as we wrap up this morning, reflect for a moment. What obedience is that for you? What obedience is in front of you? Hard obedience. And as you think about getting ready for that obedience, what would a training montage look like for you? Your, the workout scene. The, the weapon gathering. What would a training montage look like for you to prepare you for what you're about to face and for what's coming in 2024? Very practically, the examples we have just from Joshua 1 to 6, we have Joshua meditating on Scripture. We have Israel making a pile of things to remember. We have them setting a day aside, celebrating and, or, or grieving with friends. Uh, blowing trumpets. Do you, listen, do you need to listen to more worship music, more, more trumpet music? Blow trumpets or walk around in silence? Whatever it is, I hope that you will invest in what helps you appreciate Jesus more. Make that investment. The story of Jericho calls us to commit to worship and obedience as our way of being in this world at this moment. No matter how foolish or how useless it looks to others. The uselessness of what we do is held out by the world as a primary criticism. But what we believe and what this passage reveals clearly is that God God works. And God works and God wins. And I won't say that what we do helps... But what he's told us to do is how he's decided to work. And this is how God works. He has designed things so that his work runs off of our worship and obedience. So what is God going to do for you in 2024? He's not necessarily going to knock down your Jericho. And that's not what we're saying. But he's going to do something. And the something that he does is going to be good. And I want to close this morning to assure you of this with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. I started this morning with Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spirit. So, so Paul is trying to get the Ephesian church on that war footing. And this is one of his key moments to doing that. He prays that the Ephesian church would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now listen to this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. 
Joshua met the commander of the Lord, a foreshadowing of Jesus. He worshipped him and obeyed, and he saw God do far more than he could ask or think. Joshua had no idea that Jericho was coming until the Lord told him. And when we see Jesus, friends, when we see Jesus, the big problems in our life are going to seem smaller and the hard obediences are going to seem easier. And it is in such hard and large moments that God loves to powerfully work and to be glorified and to do more than we could ask or think. Let's pray that he does that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the story of the battle of Jericho. And Lord, we need to hear these things. We need to be reminded that you work and that you win. And that we can reliably count on Jesus to lead us to victory, even though the path of faith, the worship and obedience can seem strange and hard. Yet we trust you to lead us to do what is right and to lead us to something good. Amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.